Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good morning, church. Who is excited to be in church today? I am pumped. I got a word that's going to encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you today. If you're new with us, my name is Ali, my beautiful wife and I. We started Center Set three years ago. We're a brand new church. We wanted to create a place where you could passionately and boldly grow in your faith, but it's also a place where you can ask questions and, and doubt and, and, and belong before you believe. And we wanted to create a place where we can invite our high school and Christian and non-Christian believe friends to church and they wouldn't feel awkward and weird. This is a place where, believe me when I say this, believers and unbelievers are both welcome. And, uh, we're in a collection of talks called Trials to Triumph. We are going through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, if you want one of these, these are free. Come to our 5 p.m. in-person service. We are continuing to talk around this theme, Trials to Triumph, that life is often not about conquering. It's about enduring and not giving up, not quitting. I'm going to read from you 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 9. And it says this, Finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. I'm going to read more, but I'm going to start right there. I want to preach to you around this idea, how to suffer well. How to suffer well. Let me pray before we begin. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you have us here. Thank you so much, God, that you're speaking to us. Spirit of God, would you do something on the inside of us that we would leave this place different, looking more like you, talking more like you, loving more like you, Jesus. We want not just to get information. We want transformation, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We worship you. And if you believe that, say amen. I was a senior in college at San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly, studying computer science. I was a total nerd. Uh, and the senior year of, my high, of college, my roommate got on the A train of working out. And when someone's passionate about working out, man, you get passionate too. I remember one day coming home and he had three boxes from GNC. He had creatine, he had pre-workout, post-workout, mu- everything, muscle milk, all that you can think of. And man, he, he was excited about working out. And it got me excited for the very first time in my life. And uh, even though I'm still working out you know, 20 years later, man, I was really good at making excuses about not wanting to work out. Anybody relate to that? And I would, I would literally get dressed, go to the gym, park, walk through the gym, be like, you know what? Today's not my day. I'm going home. I literally would do that several times. And there would be days my roommates would be like, let's go work out. But like, I'm not wearing the right shoes. I don't have the right shoes. I'm a poor college student. I only have one pair of shoes. Every shoe is the right pair of shoes. Uh, there would be days I'm like, I don't have a water bottle, even though there's a water fountain at the gym. I was the king of making excuses and three or four months into this of working out pretty regularly for the first time in my life, a new thought entered my mind on why I should quit. Maybe you can relate this idea of where are my gains, bro? Where's all my results? Where's my six pack? How come I can't run a six minute mile? And I'm yelling at my trainer, AKA my roommate. I'm like, bro, why can't I bench two plates? Where's my six pack? And he's like, we need to work out together. See what you don't understand is my roommate and I, we, we didn't have the same schedule. So he taught me how to eat, he taught me the protein intake, but we actually never worked out. So one time he comes to me with the gym, he goes, just work out the way you normally do, Ali, and I'll critique you. 25 minutes later, I'm done with my workout. He's like, bro, you cannot tell me you're done. All you did was chest, buys, and tries. What about back? I'm like, bro, back is whack. Who does back? He's like, you didn't even do legs. I'm like, demons work their legs out. Legs is painful. He's like, shock. He's like, dude, this is the worst workout ever. I'm like, bro, 
curls are for girls. What do you mean this is a bad workout? He's like, you're not even working out half the muscles in your body. He's like, don't you want to be big? Don't you want to be strong? He's like, you got to work out your legs. But I'm like, bro, you don't understand. Working out your legs sucks. It's painful. And then he said something I'll never forget. Write this down. It's necessary, but unpleasant. I'm going to bring this back spiritually. It's necessary, but unpleasant. We're going back and forth on why I need to work out my legs. I'm like, bro, why is it so important that I work out my legs? He's like, because it's the largest muscle group in your body. And when you work out legs, there's some unintended consequences. What you do today will give you some consequences for your tomorrow. Even though it's, it's painful, it's necessary. Why? Because when you work out your legs on Tuesday, it releases a growth hormone called testosterone. So even though you want big biceps, even though you want a big chest, if you want bigger muscles, you want those, that growth hormone going through your body. So even though you worked out legs on Tuesday, it's going to release that growth hormone so that you get even bigger and stronger on Thursday. It's necessary, but unpleasant. This is the exact theme that Peter wants to get in your spirit. He wants to tell you that how do you suffer well? How do you get big biceps, big chest? There are things that you need to do on Tuesday that even though it's unpleasant, it's going to have some unintended consequences. It's going to help you grow in your faith. How do you suffer well? How do you do those things? You need to have leg day in Christianity. You need to have leg day. See, see you can't avoid suffering. You, you can't avoid the pain. You can't avoid coronavirus. I, I know so many couples during this pandemic that called Pastor Yasmin and I. Over 10 couples called us wanting to get separation or divorce. They have marital issues. We worked through so many couples. We're sad to say one couple did get divorced, but we fought for, in faith for so many others. Can't tell you how many people contacted Center Set. Can you help pay for rent? 50 million Americans lost their jobs this last year. The pain, the suffering of coronavirus, the, 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 the pressure that it created, there's no way that you can avoid that. We couldn't pay people's rent, obviously, but we helped pay for their groceries. But then there's the silent pain of depression, anxiety, and suicide in Santa Clara County went up 800%. Like, listen, write this thought down. Suffering is unavoidable, but enduring is achievable. And in the same way that my roommate came to me and said, bro, I know you want big biceps. I know you want big chest. You want that beach body. You want to get big, but you got to do legs. By doing legs on Tuesday, it's going to help you grow your biceps on Thursday. And that's the theme that Peter wants to get into your spirit. He so harmoniously, so masterfully tries to get this theme in our, this theme in our heart. You and I will read verse 9, or, and we'll just skip over it. This is not important. Peter's saying, you need to do this if you want to suffer well. You need to get this in your spirit. The only way you're going to have the strength to suffer well is if you do leg day. In the church, that's go, that in, in, in the church world, leg day, listen, is living in harmony. Live in harmony. See, see, there are things that you and I do that we, we don't, that they're, they're necessary even though they're unpleasant. There are things that we do on Sunday that may be unpleasant to our schedule, but you're building something on the inside that you're going to need on Tuesday when your boss yells at you. You're going to need it on Friday when your relationship's going bad. You're going to need it on Saturday when your kids are acting up. You're working on the interior, building something today that's going to reap an unintended consequence later on. And what Peter's trying to get in your spirit, he says this, he says, finally, all of you, when you go to the Greek, that word all in English is all in English. <laughs> Everyone will suffer. 
everyone is either going through suffering, just came out of suffering, or will be going into suffering. You cannot avoid this. And he's telling us you need to do leg day today so that you can reap the, con the benefits of it tomorrow. And harmony is how you do that. What's harmony? Harmony is this musical term. And the thing about harmony that's so interesting is that you can't do it alone. See, one person will sing a melody, fa la 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 la. I can't sing. I'm not going to even try. But then what ha happens is other singers, background singers, they'll, they'll complement the melody and together they will harmonize. You can't have harmony alone. When you're going through suffering, you need people around you. And it's important that you have harmony with them. I, I, I've never seen the body of Christ so divided as we've seen this last year. It wasn't just an election. It wasn't just the coronavirus. It was the disharmony. There were Christians who said masks are oppressive. And then there were Christians who said that masks is a way to love our neighbors. And these two groups did not get along. We had no harmony. See, when you, when you come to church on Sundays and you see the band, they're harmonizing together. They're each playing their individual part, but together they're making music. See, when the, the guy's on the keys and he's playing notes, and a few notes together make a chord, and the guy on the drums, he's, he's creating a rhythm. And then the singers are singing in harmony. And each person individually is making a sound. But together, when you combine the individual parts, the sound makes a song. That's what it looks like to live in harmony with other believers. And if one person says, you know what? I don't want to sing the song. I want to play ACDC. The disharmony is evident to everyone in the room. Uh, one of my favorite shows is American Idol. Anyone can relate? I, I love American Idol. It's actually my dad's favorite show and something we talk about all the time. I love the first episode of American Idol and I love the last episode of American Idol. I don't like watching the, the 20 weeks in between. I, I love watching and laughing at the people who think they could sing and then I love watching the winner. And I'm not sure about you, but I, I'm one of those people that, that can't sing. I, I can't hold a note. I sound good in the shower, but I'm going to make your ears bleed in person. And, and even though I, I can't carry a tone, listen, my ears can tell when someone's not singing in harmony. Listen, we don't under realize that when non-believers come to the church, and even though they say we, we love one another, they know when we're living our life out of tune. That we say one thing with our lips, but then our lives show division. That we say that we love our neighbor as ourselves, but then we, we don't even talk to people who aren't from the same political party as us. It is so important that we don't look like the world. Write this thought down. We don't tune the church to the world. We tune the world to the church. See, what's so unique about the, the Christian faith is that they, Jesus said this, that they, they the, the world, will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And the way our culture disagrees today is that if I disagree with you, I'm going to shame you. I'm going to disrespect you. We call it cancel culture. I don't want anyone to follow you. I don't want anyone to like you. I want to remove all your endorsements because I disagree with you. It's shaming you. But in the Christian, in the, in the church, we shouldn't be following the patterns of the world. We should be modeling to the world. We should be singing a different tune that even if you disagree with me, even if you mock me, I'm going to love you. I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to speak to you in love. That's what it means to live in harmony. And then Peter gives us three things. How, how do we do this? How do we do leg day on Tuesday so that we can suffer well? He gives you three things. Number one is this. We live in harmony through, by being sympathetic. See, it's very important that you understand emotions are needed. Emotions are data to the Christian. They're not directives. We don't live our life by our emotions, but they give us data. 
And sympathy is on the way to empathy. Empathy is, empathy is the deepest intimacy that you can have with someone. See, sympathy is when someone falls into a pit. Sympathy says, that sucks, and you're looking down in the hole. Empathy crawls down the hole and says, this sucks. See, when I have a relationship with someone, I have to at least have sympathy. See, to live in harmony with someone means I celebrate with them. To live in harmony with someone means I, I laugh with them, I mourn with them, I grieve with them. You know who I don't have sympathetic emotions with? Hey Siri, donde esta la biblioteca? I didn't get that. Could you try again? Yeah. See, Siri tells me what I need, gives me information, but we have a transactional relationship. I don't feel for her, she doesn't feel for me. That's what separates robots from humans. You have to have sympathetic emotions. Number two, Peter says, you got to love loving as brothers. And is Peter saying like, like, is he against women? Is, is, is he trying to say, I don't like the girls? That's not what he's saying. See, in the, 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 the Old, New Testament is written in Greek. And you got to understand, there are four words for the, for the English word love. We translate all four of those Greek words into one word. There's agape, which is unconditional of the love that God the Father gives us. It's unconditional. There's eros love, which is a love between two partners. And then there's phileo love, which is like brotherly love. That's this love right here. And as a brother, I know exactly what Peter's trying to describe. Listen, I love my sisters. I'm an older brother. And there are times, man, my sister and I, we would fight like Tom and Jerry. We would literally lay hands on each other, not like the, the ministry kind, you know? And I'd be me. I'm a savage older brother. I'd be like, so, I, I'm not going to mention your name. I'm like, did you lose weight? Because it looked like you gained it again. Like, I'm that mean older brother. That's, that's how I'd be, listen, behind closed doors. Behind closed doors, I'm savage. I'm mean. But publicly, if you say something about my sister, you and I are going to talk. That's the kind of brotherly love that Peter's talking about. Can you publicly honor someone even when you disagree with them, but then privately tell them how you really feel? To live in harmony, you need to be sympathetic, you need to be loving as brothers. And number three, you need to have compassion and, and be humble or humility. See, sympathy is a feeling. Compassion is an action. This is so big that God so loved the world that he sent a text message to show that. No, he didn't do that. He didn't send flowers. He didn't send an email. He didn't pull out his iPhone and send an audio message to us. He sent his son. Love compelled Jesus to action. You can't just have googly moogly feelings. If you want to live in harmony, you must have action. And that action must be characterized by humility, by preferring one another. Some of you at this point are like, what are we talking about? I thought we are talking about suffering. Yes, if you want to have the strength to suffer well. Listen, if you want big biceps in the gym, if you want big tries, big chest, you can't just work those muscles out. you got to do something on Tuesday so that when you go to the gym on Thursday, you can, you can build those big muscles in the same way. If you want to learn how to suffer well, you got to do things that are leg day in Christianity. That's living in harmony. Let me tell you why this is so important. When the church is in harmony, the world is drawn to our melody. See, when you study church history, when you, when you look at why some historians will explain the growth, the, the explosive growth of the church, if you're non-secular, you'll say, like, oh, it was because of Constantine. He, he, he popularized Christianity. He made it the national religion. But if you go back to, to 
and really look at the early church, why did it explode? How did these 12 uneducated fishermen, how did they expand Christianity? And what most historians will tell you is that the Christian community looked like nothing else in human history. There was the rich and the poor. There were masters and slaves. There were men and women. There were the educated and the uneducated. The highest of society and the bottom of the totem pole. And all of those people were in one community. And the world looked at that community and said, why the heck are you guys all together? That's the power of living in harmony. The people that shouldn't have harmony. When you live in harmony, it is attractive to the world. Peter wants to give you five things on how to suffer well, but you can't suffer well until you live, do leg day. Number one, if you want to suffer well, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Let me read you 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. That your gut reaction when someone gossips about you, when someone says something mean about you, or they do something evil against you, your gut reaction is to pay evil with evil. And what Peter's trying to get into your spirit is, 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 is if, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow after him, you got to understand that our behavior is belief-driven. All behavior is belief. So you, you don't just try to behave right, you try to think right. And following Jesus and believing what he says is extremely difficult. It goes against your flesh. It goes against the culture. So what do you do when you're being persecuted? What do you do when people are hurting you and harming you and saying evil things about you? The first thing has got to be a blessing. Look for an opportunity to be a miracle. But this is why Romans chapter 12 says, Do not repay evil with evil, but says repay evil with good. What do I do, Pastor Adam, when there's this knife in my back? How do I get back at the haters? How do I clap back at all the people that have hurt me and doubted me and have abused me? You know how you get back at them? You know how you get revenge? You do it God's way. It's called forgiveness. And there are so many Christians that are suffering needlessly because you're living with unforgiveness. Because someone did something to you that was unacceptable. They said something about you that they shouldn't have said. And they hurt you. Now you're hurt, there's resentment, and you think by holding unforgiveness, you're winning. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping to hurt the other person. One theologian said that unforgiveness is putting the innocent party in prison. You think it's going to help you. You think it's going to bring peace. You think it's going to help you get back at the person. But in the end, the only person that suffers is you. Unforgiveness, when you release someone and forgive them, it's allowing your heart to be open to receive a blessing. You gotta be, be a blessing even though your flesh doesn't want it. Listen, you gotta write this thought down. Don't let the, the ugly in others kill the beauty in you. Don't let the ugly in others kill the beauty in you. Number two, if you wanna suffer well, you gotta stay clean. Stay clean. First Peter chapter two, first Peter chapter one, chapter three, verses 11 and 12. For whoever would love life, and see good days, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So many Christians are suffering because they don't know how to control their tongue. Either you control your tongue or your tongue controls you. And listen, what Peter's calling us to is to live different than the world. Don't, as our culture says, 
clap back. I remember I was a youth pastor in 2010, I had like maybe 10 or 15 kids, and it was like December, around Christmas time, and I remember all of them were over at my house, and they're like, Pastor Ali, Pastor Ali, have you downloaded Instagram yet? And I was like, Insta what? This is back in 2010, when Instagram had just started in October 2010, and I was like, what is, because at that time, listen, everyone was on Facebook, and I was like, what, what is this, is this picture app, who does this? I'm not an artist, I'm not creative, and who knew that it would be give a window into people's lives and it would be a tool for influence. But back then, it was a tool for fun. I used to cause mayhem. I would put these memes on Instagram for my students just to cause controversy. This is one of the memes that I used to put on my Instagram. Don't look at my Instagram because I deleted all those old photos, but it says this. So this is Jesus surrounded by his disciples. So my dad told them, guys, come on, seriously, don't eat that. First thing she does, she eats it. So yeah, that's why I'm here. I thought that meme was hilarious 10 years ago. I think 10 years later, it's still hilarious. And if you went to that original photo on my Instagram, there was like 40, 50 comments. I only had like 10 kids in my group. If you fast forward 10 years to 2020, the summer where God showed America about the injustice that our African-American brothers are experiencing, so many pastors, models of faith, men like T.D. Jakes, men like Chris Durso, men like Judas Smith and Rich Wilkerson Jr. were, were championing the church to fight, to pray, to stand up for injustice. And man, if you went to their comment section, it wasn't like non-believers were cussing these pastors out. It was the church condemning, shaming, attacking, and it was mind-boggling to my wife and I as we'd read the comments, the hate, the venom that people would say. And my wife like, Ali, just click on one of those links of the person who's saying that. Just watch. And what she was trying to tell me is that hurt people hurt people. And often when you, when you see the bigger story, when you see why people are so quick to say something online that they would never say in person, it's because they're not staying clean. It's, it's easy to respond in your flesh. It's easy to say something online. But Peter's calling us to a different way of life. Saying, don't let that deceitful speech come out of your tongue. And he says something else. Seek peace and pursue it. It was Jesus who said it on the great Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. I, I think most Christians don't realize this. There is a difference between making peace and keeping peace. To keep peace, you just don't rock the boat. Don't say anything bad. Just, just stay in your lane. But Jesus doesn't call us to be peacekeepers. He calls us to be peacemakers, which is beyond peacekeeping. Peacemaking is when the boat is rocking, you get out and you try to seek reconciliation. It goes beyond peacekeeping. If I can give you this picture, imagine you and I are this cup. Often we think God needs ability. God is just looking for availability. Anyone who's an empty vessel, a clean vessel, who wants to be a blessing. See, often what you don't realize is when someone bumps you, when someone hits you, what comes out of you is what you're filled with. Are you full of yourself or are you full of God? Because it's revealed, listen, when you go through suffering. And if you want to suffer well, the first thing you got to do is you got to be a blessing. You got to stay clean. And number three, if you're writing those notes, you got to remember the Lord is watching. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Anybody 
grew up on hip hop in the 90s. I'm an 80s kid, so I grew up listening to Tupac and Biggie, and most people don't realize this because he's not in the game anymore, but Biggie was the father, they say, of taking songs in the 70s and 80s and doing the remix, taking songs that were not sung in hip hop and remixing them to a new generation. What Peter is saying right here aren't even his words. What he's doing, he's taking a song that was written 1,500 years ago and he's creating the New Testament version of a remix of an old song. This song was originally written by King David. Psalm 34, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, 11, and 12 are not even Peter's words. Peter took an old song for a different generation for a diff and he's created a remix for Christians in Rome. See, David wrote this verse. And the context of where he wrote this verse is so powerful for you to understand. See, there was a time where Israel, this nation of God, these, the people of God, did not have a king. They said, we want a king! And God said, let me be your king! And they said, no, we reject you, God. We want a physical king. So God anointed a man named Sam, Saul to be the king of Israel. But Saul loved the praises of people more than the audience of one. He lived to please man, not to please God. And God said, I reject Saul as king. And so he, he was looking for a man who was after his heart. And he anointed a 17-year-old boy named David to be king. And what's crazy is that David wasn't ready to be king, but he was just anointed. It took time for him to step into his calling. And for the next 13 years, because of Saul's jealousy, because he was insecure, because he didn't really fear what God said, he went on a manhunt to try to kill and destroy David. And what's crazy is David was suffering for over a decade. But he was being a blessing. He never once said anything negative about Saul. Never once did he try to retaliate and get revenge. He always forgave him. And what, if you go back to the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, there's this crazy story where, where David is running from David. Where David is running from Saul. And he comes to this town. There's this king named Elimelech. He's like, King Elimelech, will you please feed me and my men? We're hungry. Elimelech's like, sure. And one of Elimelech's men says, isn't that David? Isn't that David running from King Saul? Shouldn't we kill him? And David realizes that his life's in danger. So he pretends to be crazy. Pretends to be a madman. And it's in that moment, it's in that scene, after running for a decade for his life, that David writes this verse. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's one time in that chapter where, where Saul is chasing after David. And he goes into a cave, not realizing David is in the cave hiding. And Saul goes in to go to the bathroom. And David cuts off a little bit of his, his cloak, showing Saul, I could have killed you, but it's not my job to get revenge. God puts you in power, God will take you out of power. And often what we don't realize, the reason we, we want revenge, the reason we behave differently is we forget that our Father is watching. When you know your dad's looking at you, you remember that the Lord is always watching. I, I remember one time during COVID, my, my wife, she uh, tried to go grocery shopping with both our daughters. I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. They are a handful. And I remember sitting on the couch, just, you know, relaxing. It's a Friday. And my wife comes home and goes, 
You need to handle your daughter. And every time my kids are behaving, they're her children. But when they're misbehaving, they're my children. Go figure. She goes, well, I'm like, what is going on? The door to our garage into the kitchen's open, the garage door is open, and the door to the car is open. All three doors are open. And I can hear my two-year-old from 30 feet away. No! 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 Like I just hear her yelling. Okay, put on my shoes, I walk out, and as soon as my two-year-old sees me eye to eye, her butt cheeks clench, she goes, Daddy, Daddy, how are you? Daddy, pick me up. She stops misbehaving, she stops acting up. Why? Because you stop behaving a certain way when you know your father's watching. See, some of you, you, you want revenge. You want to defend yourself because you forgot your dad sees. He sees what's happening to you. For 13 years, David was chased down. For 13 years, he could have defended himself, but he didn't because he knew his father was watching. If you want to suffer well, you got to be a blessing. you got to stay clean, and you got to remember that the Lord is watching. And number four, if you're taking notes, is do not fear. Do not fear. First Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 14 says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? See, often we do good things and we don't get persecuted for it. And he juxtaposes that day. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're still blessed. Even if they persecute you for doing the right thing, you are still blessed. And it continues, do not fear their threats. One translation says, do not fear what they fear. What's, what is Peter trying to tell you? Don't live the way the world lives. Don't be afraid of what the world's afraid of. So many people in our culture, they're afraid. So they have big, massive retirement accounts because they're so afraid of losing. They want control. And the way that the Christian lives is not the way that the the non-Christian should live. This command, do not be afraid, do not fear, is the most repeated commandment in the Bible. It's repeated over 360 times. Why? One for every day of the year. If you look back at church history, it was the lack of fear that separated Christians from non-Christians. If you go back before coronavirus, there was another virus that destroyed humanity, the bubonic plague, the black plague, that was passed around by rats, dirty rats. And it, it wasn't like 1% of people who get coronavirus like may perish. Like 100% of those who got the bubonic plague, they all died. So what was happening is that people were moving out of the city. They, were, they weren't socially distancing. They were literally moving away. But there was a group of people that didn't move away because they weren't afraid of death. It was the Christians because their Savior had conquered death. And they knew that life was longer, more than just 80 years. It was more than just having a retirement account or a saving. No, I'm saying not to be foolish, but we're not to live our life in fear when suffering happens. Our God, Jesus, defeated death, defeated Satan, and defeated sin. If you want to suffer well, after you do leg day, of course, you got to be a blessing. you got to stay clean. you got to remember that the Lord is watching. Do not fear. Number five, this is the last one. Be prepared. Be prepared. First Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 15, it says this, But in your hearts, because it's out of the heart, the mouth speaks. In your heart, revere Christ. Don't just say you love Jesus. Love Him in your heart and you're going to say it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior 
in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. How are you going to remember to be a blessing? How are you going to remember to stay clean? How are you going to remember that the Lord sees everything? And how are you going to remember not to be afraid? Because you've got to be prepared. This word in the, in the Hebrew says, be prepared. Some translations say, to make a defense. It's where we get our word apologetics from. It is a good thing to understand and be able to defend your faith. But let me give you a caveat. Jesus never asked you to defend him. He wants you to give an account, to be a witness for why you have a hope in him. So many Christians, when they're suffering, they, they don't want to tell their friends. When they're going through pain, they're ashamed. You're going through cancer. Why haven't you walked away from God? How do you still worship Jesus when you had to bear your child? Your husband cheated on you and left you. Why do you still worship Jesus? See, what you don't understand is that suffering creates a platform. Suffering creates an opportunity for God to show up and for you to show him off. The reason why I have a hope is not an argument. It's a person. Because when I look back on my life, on all the pain, all the, the, the negative experience I've ever had, it's not the absence of suffering why I believe in Jesus, but it's the presence of God in the face of my suffering. It's not the absence of God. It's not the absence of suffering why I believe. It's the presence of a Savior in the middle of my suffering. It's not what you're going through that matters. It's who's going with you that matters. It's David that said in Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the reason why I believe is not an argument. It's a person. And the presence of suffering does not make me not believe. It's the presence of a Savior in my suffering, in my difficult times, that he's never left me, that he's never forsaken me, that in my darkest days, God was closest to me. That's why I believe. How are you going to suffer well? Well, you'll never have the muscles on Thursday until you do your leg day and live in harmony on Tuesday. If you want to suffer well, you got to be prepared. You got to stay clean. You got to remember that the Lord is watching. You got to not fear and you got to be prepared not to give an argument, but to be, but to tell people about a person. And He's your hope. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that in this season of, of COVID, after this year of doing church online and there was suffering in our relationships. There was suffering financially. Maybe, God, we even lost loved ones. God, it's not like we're coming out fresh and there are so many people dealing with PTSD, God. So many people that are dealing with private pain, depression, and anxiety, God. How do we suffer well, God? Thank you, God, that the scriptures are not silent, that life isn't always about conquering. Sometimes it's just about enduring. Thank God for this example that Peter gives us that we know how to suffer well. Pray for our church, God, that you'd speak to us, that you encourage us, that you'd lift us up, that you'd tell us it's not the absence of suffering that proves that you're there. That's the presence of a Savior in the midst of suffering, that you've never left us and forsaken us. That's why we have hope. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to some of you for a moment that that maybe this is your first time at church. Maybe this is your first time in a long time. I want to explain to you a, a moment that Christianity is not a, a religion. It's a relationship with the living God. And this God, God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And for some of you, it's confusing. You don't, you don't really have a relationship with God. You don't know how to become a Christian, but God's been tugging on your heart during the sermon. You're going through pain. You're going through suffering. You want God to be there with you. Let me tell you that he is near to the tender heart. He is, he is there. He mourns with those who mourn and he weeps with those who weep. And he wants to be with you. And you were created to have a relationship with him. He wants to do life with you. And you've never been alone. He's been there the whole time. You just never knew. And this God, his name is Jesus. And he wants a relationship with you. And if that's you this morning, you want to start a relationship with the living God, Jesus. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes and just pray this prayer with me. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven as God and became fully man. And you did something that no one else has ever done. You lived a sinless and perfect life. And the reason why you did that, God, so that you could die on a cross for my sin, for my mistakes. But you didn't stay dead, God. Three days later, you conquered death, sin, and the grave, defeating all of them. And your sacrifice is now my salvation. Your death is why I can live. You died the death I was supposed to die. Now I can live the life I was, I'm supposed to live. I'm forgiven. I want to receive your salvation by trusting in Jesus, by placing my faith in Him. God, I receive the free gift of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. If you believe that this morning, and you prayed that prayer with me, would you just text CS Jesus to 9700? Or would you click this link on the bottom of the screen, centerset.ch slash connect. We would love to help you on this spiritual journey. We have three books for you that we want to help you. One is a book called Following Jesus. What are the ways that you can follow? How do you talk to him? How do you pray to him? And we want to give you a New Testament Bible to help you on this spiritual journey. So we want to speak to our church for a moment. And this is our time for our offering during our, our service. And the last four months of our church, we've given away close to $8,000. 1000 to 821 and 1000 to Foster the Bay. And we're giving not only money to the four, outside the four walls of the church to sex trafficking, but also the foster kids in the Bay Area. We could never do that without your generosity. And every month we have guests that will come to our church. There are people that join our church. And today, on Sunday, May 16th, we are doing growth track in person. Don't miss out. But I want to encourage some of you. Today will be your first day for giving as well. Maybe some of you have never given. Today's going to be the first day. Your baby step is to give something. Some of you have been coming for a while and you've given before. Maybe you've tipped God before. Maybe today's going to make a decision. I'm going to give God consistently. Maybe you've given giving consistently and your baby step is to give a percentage giving of one or two percent of your salary. Maybe you've done that and now it's your time to work towards the biblical standard of the tithe. I want to challenge you that, that are giving the tithe. And the, the Bible calls us in 1 Corinthians 9 to, to give above and beyond, which is an offering, to give sacrificially. See, I'm not just challenging those who aren't giving. I'm challenging everyone in the room to be generous the way that God is generous. God so loved the world that he gave. And we look most like God when we give. Let's pray for the offering. Thank you so much, God, for every good and perfect gift that's from above. God, we've seen 200 people in this church in the last three years give their life to you. None of that would have been possible for the generosity of this faith community. 
Thank you, God, for the thousand we gave to 821. Thank you, God, for the thousand we gave to Foster the Bay. God, thank you so much that we, we want to continue being a blessing, continue being a blessing outside the four walls of this church, and none of that could have happened without the generosity of your people. God, would you take this offering and make your name famous and known in the most unchurched region in the entire country. And everybody said, amen. Have a great week, church. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.